Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now for something completely different. to another episode of the Get Cocky Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and we got a great show for you all today. Uh, I got something a little bit different, although I like to, you know, check in every couple weeks to keep things fresh. Going to let you hear the Mason-Dixon line. For those of you that are looking for some last-minute picks, if you're some of the bets on college football, great place to do that. Drew is the absolute master of these things, and we actually had special guest Tommy Moody on with me today. So again, just to keep things fresh, give you guys some picks, and we'll get Mason Dixon back in here in the next couple of weeks to do some revised national championship odds, Heisman updates, and a couple of other things like that for those of you that are worried about futures or even individual picks. Mason Dixon lines on 107.5 The Game every Friday at 1230 is a great place to get those picks. South Carolina is traveling up to Knoxville to take on Tennessee this weekend in a game that Gives Carolina a lot to win and a lot to lose. I think last week's Florida game, I, I decided, I, I sort of where I landed on that was Carolina had a lot to gain if they won that game, but not a lot to lose. Uh, this is a game that is pretty high stakes on both ends, and I think that is probably why Carolina fans are kind of on edge. It seems like for this game, the spreads at four and a half. That's right about where it opened. I think some places I saw three, some places I saw four, maybe some places even had it open like right at four and a half and that's sort of where it stayed i think that maybe has carolina fans a little bit nervous or maybe the line has stayed there because carolina fans are nervous and they're not hammering their gamecocks like they would in any other week and it makes sense i mean you look back at i mean the the recent history with tennessee especially but even the not so recent history somebody hit me on my local show today and said that if you look at all the or if you look at the average score of both teams since 2000 in this specific series the average score is 19 to 19 and that feels about right you know whether it's been overtime games whether it's been goal line stands for both teams there's something about this game that's always close and there's something about playing in Neyland that I think always drives Gamecock fans crazy and I think the Gamecocks crazy obviously the the one-handed catch that whew, I mean like really ended what what could have otherwise been one of the best seasons ever in South Carolina history is something that still looms large as a, as a really depressing piece of recent history for Carolina fans. But the last couple of years, the close calls have gone in Carolina's favor. And I don't know if Gamecock fans are maybe waiting for the other shoe to drop or, or, or what exactly it is, because on paper, I think South Carolina is a much better team than Tennessee and is, is capable, is good enough and very well could win this game comfortably. The over-under for this game is 47, and if the over hits by a significant margin, I would guess it's because Carolina finally puts it all together on offense, which they have not yet been able to do this year. Wes and Chris and I have sort of an outstanding bet from several weeks ago on another Carolina podcast when our buy or sell was buy or sell, will Carolina, I guess it was probably during the open open week, will Carolina score 30-plus points against an FBS opponent? And Wes and Chris bought it and said, yes, probably against Vanderbilt. And while that was a good guess and a smart guess, I just couldn't help but be sarcastic and say no. 
And here we are. South Carolina still probably not honestly looking like they will score 30 points against this Tennessee defense. Not because they're fantastic. Now they are good. Carolina just scored 27 Although seven of those were in garbage time against a very good Florida defense. Uh, they scored 20 against a very good Georgia defense. And you feel like the pieces are there. But until we get, a, I guess, a clearer picture of more assurance that Ryan Holinsky's healthy, which I don't think there is reassurance to be had. And like, I think what he, the injury that he's dealing with is probably something that will bother him throughout the rest of the season because Carolina has one more open week. And I don't know if one week is, is enough to recover from a knee sprain. And frankly, that's what Rico Dowdle is dealing with. And I don't know if they're, if it's the exact same type of sprain or, or you know, how any of that works. I, I think that's something that he's probably going to be dealing with. Maybe if you were a running back or a defensive lineman or something, probably wouldn't be uh, going, although Will Muschamp did say he had his best practice of the season on Tuesday. The point is, I cannot reasonably expect this Carolina offense to reach even 80% of what I think it's capable of without Ryan Holinsky being healthy, which I don't know if it's going to happen this year. The other part of that that makes this even a little bit more confounding for Carolina in terms of where you feel like your confidence is going into this game is Rico Dowdo's injury. Obviously, he's not going to be playing on Saturday. The good news is it doesn't look like he's going to be out as long as maybe people were initially afraid that he was going to be out. Now, having Tavian Feaster as your backup is an incredible luxury, as Carolina found found out on Saturday, as he rushed for 175 yards on 25 carries and for, again, a Florida defense that's really, really good, made them look uh, not quite really, really good. So huge credit to him, and I expect him to be very good again this weekend as he has been all season. Now, we haven't seen him have to do it as many times as he did against Florida in terms of carrying the football at any other point this year. I think before that, the most carries he had gotten in the game was 15 or maybe 17, if I remember correctly. So what does it look like if he goes back-to-back games with 20-plus carries for maybe the first time in his career. I don't know if that takes a toll. I don't really have any reason to believe that his productivity would dip. Um, and even if it does, you have Mondenson, who had a good game last week, who's there to, to spell him and make sure that he doesn't have to you know, go for 25, 30, 35 carries um, if, if he's not ready to do that. He may very well be, but he hasn't had to do it much, if at all, in his career. So I don't, I don't know what the expectation should be in terms of his workload. But in terms of productivity, I think it will be there. I think Carolina will continue to be able to run the football because they have against basically everyone they've played this year, uh, not Missouri, but they also didn't try to run the football against Missouri, which was my primary issue with with the game plan there. But that's going to be the recipe. And like even even though I said that if it is a big margin, if a lot of points are scored, it's going to be because Carolina wins big. There's, there's not going to be a shootout. Tennessee's not going to. I mean, Tennessee might score some points. I don't think they'll score that many, but they wouldn't, they're not a good enough offensive team to blow Carolina out. So you're hoping for a lot of points because that means more likely than not, Carolina is winning and probably winning big. But the reality is, and where I feel like people have settled, is that this is probably going to be a low scoring, knockdown, dragout affair, which is really scary when you think about the fact that Carolina is playing that game in a place like Neyland Stadium that has not been kind to the Gamecocks over the years. And, you know, also. You have a home crowd that they're probably not super stoked about this Tennessee team right now. They're two and five with uh, wins over Chattanooga and Mississippi State. There's not a lot to be excited about, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be in the game late. Um, if Tennessee hangs around, if it comes down to another goal line stand, I know Carolina withstood that in Knoxville, but you you can't expect that to be the case every single time you go. There's a reason that it's hard to win on the road in general, and especially on the road in the SEC in a place like Neyland that seats over 100,000 people. 
There are just a lot of ways and reasons that that could go wrong, not the least of which is something that we've talked about several times this season, including on the Monday Get Cocky podcast, is that this team just kind of gets conservative and kind of gets tight late in game. So, uh, so the obvious answer then is, okay, well, don't have this be a close game late. The way that I could really see this playing out, honestly, is I could see Carolina kind of putting it on Tennessee for two or three quarters. Uh, not that they put it on Florida, but uh, did well enough that they could be up by three after three quarters. I could see Carolina being up 20 to 10 or 24 to 10 or 24 to 7, 24, 13, something like that going into the fourth quarter. And then Tennessee all of a sudden mounts a little bit of a comeback. Carolina gets tight. And then it really just comes down to one final drive. Can Carolina make a stop or is Tennessee going to make a play, whether it's Garantano or or JT Shrout, who's under center for them, are are they going to make a play? Is Carolina going to make another freshman quarterback look like a hero, or is Carolina going to be the reason that Tennessee fans all of a sudden start buying back all the Jared Garantano stock that they've been selling in the last month or so? That's the kind of stuff that happens when you let a game stay close on the road. So this will be a, a great test. Obviously, Carolina has to get out to a good start for this to, you know, even be a possible scenario, but if it does play out like that, and I kind of think it will, like 14 to 3 at halftime, 17 to 3, 20 to 10, 20 to 7 at halftime, something like that, this will be another good test and another opportunity to see if Will Muschamp has learned or will learn or is learning the dangers of getting conservative late in a game when you have a lead, especially when you're on the road, especially when you're playing a team that's lacking confidence. That more than ever is when you need to be able to just really step on their throat and, and rest control away from the game, take any lingering belief that could be there on the sideline and the coaches and the players and the fans and just really take it away from them. Because again, I think Carolina, even being a little bit undermanned, being down Rico Dowdle with a not 100% healthy Ryan Helensky, they're still good enough to control the line of scrimmage, run the football, keep the ball out of Tennessee's hands. Tennessee's going to try to run the football a lot. They've run the football a lot more than they've thrown it this year. And not knowing who their quarterback's going to be, or maybe they know, they're just not telling anyone. Brian Morrow, who is clearly, I think, the best starter. I think the coaches feel that way, the fans feel that way, the players feel that way. He is missing the game. He's had two straight concussions, so he's not going to play on Saturday. So it's either Garantano, that nobody likes up there, nobody likes, or it's going to be JT Shrout, who has thrown 10 passes in his career. And again, like maybe that's a little bit scarier for Carolina fans because... Carolina's got such a bad track record of holding young quarterbacks in check. So many guys have historic days, historic coming out parties against the Gamecocks, it seems, especially in recent years. But that's the formula. And that's a formula. And and Carolina's good enough, especially defensively, what they've shown in the last couple of weeks. I know Florida scored 38, but first of all, Florida's a lot better offensive team than Tennessee. They have a ton of perimeter playmakers. Kyle Trask is way better than anyone that's going to be trotting out there for Tennessee. And second of all, I think that had more to do with the fact that Carolina gave them a lot of short fields late in the game, and Florida was able to capitalize. And you give him credit, but as Will Helms sort of outlined with the S&P numbers that he brought in on the Monday Get Cocky podcast, this is like a real, you know, maybe once in five years, maybe once in ten years kind of outlier in terms of Florida's offensive efficiency. So I don't think that should necessarily overly color Carolina fans' expectations or perception of what this defense has been able to do this year because you hold – Georgia to 17 points. You force four turnovers. Maybe you say two of them are gifted to you, but worst case scenario, you still were able to force two turnovers. One of those is an overtime. So we're still talking about holding Georgia to 17 in regulation, just plus three in the turnover margin. And you say two of those you forced, one of them was gifted to you. Seven points against Kentucky. 
Uh, you can't do much better than seven points. Kentucky did absolutely nothing in that game, and that touchdown was late. And um, it was while the game was in the balance, it was a shutout, and it was a pretty convincing shutout. And you go through the rest of it, you know, Missouri scored 20 points on Carolina's defense, and North Carolina was able to score 24 points. It's really just Alabama that kind of did what they want, and that's freaking Alabama. They have Tua, who is a preseason Heisman finalist and the best wide receiving core in the country. So uh, I probably talked about this too much now because we talk about it so much, and it seems like Gamecock fans do accept that the defense is much better. I just, unless Carolina turns the ball over a ton, which could absolutely happen, it might be a little bit wet in the second half. I think they're projecting a little bit of rain. Maybe Ryan Holinsky's knee is still bothering him. Maybe, I don't know, things can happen. I mean, things can always happen, and especially weird things can happen on the road. If Carolina gives Tennessee a lot of short fields, spots them some points like they did against Missouri, sure, they could score 24, 28, 30, 31. But barring that, I don't think Tennessee will score more than 20 points on Saturday. Their offense just isn't good enough. Again, the question marks at quarterback, and even though they focus primarily on running the ball, they don't do it well. I think they're right above Vanderbilt in terms of the least effective running teams in the SEC, right? They're like 93rd nationally or something like that. 3.9 yards of carry somewhere in the neighborhood. They're not a very good running team. That is the strength of what Carolina does. And yet Tennessee is still going to want to try to run it, probably because that's a better option than putting it in Garantano's hands because he's going to give it to Carolina several times or asking a guy in JT Shrout to come in and make his first start and beat a Carolina defense that's done a good job of getting after the passer and shutting down the run this year. So I don't really worry about Carolina's ability to, to keep this game close. But again, it is it is just the offense with the question marks about Ryan Helensky, the question mark about Rico and what it looks like for Tavian Feaster to have a couple straight games where he has to be the guy to get, like I said, 25, 30 carries a game. And the one thing that I will give Tennessee credit for, their defense has looked a little bit better in the last couple weeks which makes sense. I mean, that's what Jeremy Pruitt does. So that, that unit should be good. And there's certainly talent there, but they do a really good job of mixing up pressures. And that's something that has given Carolina trouble at times, especially in protecting the passer. Tennessee and South Carolina both have 17 sacks, which is tied for right around the middle of the SEC. I think seventh and eighth or eighth and ninth of those 17 sacks for South Carolina, 16 and a half of them are from six players. And then Kobe Smith has half a sack. So we'll say, Six players have 17 sacks for South Carolina, and for Tennessee, that's 12 players. It's almost twice as many, again, if you don't, it is exactly twice as many if you don't count Kobe Smith, which says two things to me. One, Carolina has done a good job of identifying who their pass rushers are, and those guys have done a good job of consistently getting after it. And Aaron Sterling and DJ Wanham and Javon Kinlaw, the top three in teams on the uh, top three on the team in sacks. But I think the other thing that that tells you about Tennessee is that. They're very comfortable bringing pressure from a lot of different places, and a lot of different guys can get after the quarterback. And like I said, Carolina has struggled with that mightily against North Carolina. They haven't seen a lot of other teams bring that much exotic pressure. You know, people will bring guys. Florida brought extra guys at times. Uh, a couple corner blitzes in that game. Obviously, there was the one where Carolina had gotten into the red zone. Uh, Georgia brought pressure a couple times. And it's not like the offensive line or the pass protection has been disastrous, but it has given Carolina problems at time and is a little bit why Ryan Holinsky's uh, dealing with that injured knee right now. But that given that that has proven difficult for South Carolina, I think Tennessee will do a lot of that. I think they'll do it early and often bringing pressures from the secondary that three of those 12 guys that have recorded at least one sack this year for Tennessee are defensive backs. So Carolina is going to need to be prepared to get a lot of looks. And also given that they're aggressive, this is maybe an opportunity since we heard about it during the off season, it was talked about, even before he got on campus, just looking at what he did at Clemson, 
Tavian Feaster as a guy that is a proven pass catcher that has good hands and that has that breakaway speed once he get into the open field, maybe against an over-aggressive defense like Tennessee that's going to bring extra pressure, and especially from the defensive backfield, that's a great opportunity to throw some more tunnel screens to Brian Edwards or throw some more you know, straight-up slip screens to a guy like Tavian Feaster. Just different ways to kind of change the offense, to do some things, to add some wrinkles that we haven't really seen this year. So I don't know if I necessarily expect that, but it is an opportunity for Carolina to do that. And that, I think, would be the formula for them getting into the 28, 31, 34 kind of range to make this a comfortable win, which it could be, but I wouldn't say that I'm expecting. All right, here is my regular Friday gambling segment from my local radio show on 107.5 The Game, which you can catch every Friday at 1230. This is me and my friend Andrew Mason-Dixon, and today special guest Tommy Moody, who is filling in for Eric Kimry today. So hope you all enjoy <laughs> Dixon Lines Week 9 and the Mason Dixon Lines debut of one Tommy Moody. I'm a little bit intimidated when I found out Eric wasn't going to be here today. I was mm-hmm. a little bit excited because he's been winning this year. He, oh, just, he, he had his fourth win. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that he's not here to gloat and have his FaceTime that we give to our winner every week, but I don't know if replacing him with you is going to fare much better for Drew or me because uh, you know this stuff as well as anybody. Well, on so. our wild card showdown that Jay and I do, I had to uh, had a 2013-2 and two record going into this past Friday. Yeah. And went a, went a Royal 1-4 and four Oof. to drop to 21-17. and 17. So a bad week can drop you in a hurry. Yeah, well, you're doing better than me on the season still. And before we bring in Drew, I'll, that's a good opportunity to recap last week. We also picked pretty poorly. Drew was 1-4. and four. Eric and I were both 2-3. and three. The tiebreaker was how long would Tennessee be tied with or beating Alabama in seconds? I said, uh, let's see, what was my pick? I picked 80. Eric picked 360, um, and he actually ended up winning because they tied it up uh, again after two or three that pick. Because if it had just been, if if Alabama had taken the lead and just held it, Mm -hmm. then I actually would have won the tiebreaker. But I guess it doesn't matter because he's not here this week. Um, Although I'm not going to do a FaceTime. I was going to, but it just doesn't feel right. I didn't actually win uh, this week. So we're going to just roll right into week nine. And without further ado, we'll welcome in the eponymous star of this segment, Andrew Mason Dixon. Drew, how's it going? All right, doing well. Happy to see Tommy Trivia this week. Hey, good. Good to hear from you, man. Uh, Drew, did you stay up and listen to uh, listen no, to the Kanye no, album last no, night? No, no, no. It, it, it just came out, though. Just came out. All right, all right. Well, I expect a full review next week during the Mason-Dixon lines. Um, all right, we're going to get started. It's a good weekend of uh, college football, and I feel kind of bad because it seems like we pick a lot of the same teams, but it's... It's the really fun games of college football, so we're just going to keep picking them. We're picking Ohio State again, and we're picking Wisconsin again. This game's at Ohio State, and Ohio State's a 14-point favorite at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, lost the luster this game after the 30-point underdog Illini shocked the Badgers last week. A costly late interception by Jack Cohn cost Badger Nation three turnovers last week. Definitely can't play like that against an Ohio State team. Leading the nation in margin per victory at 41.7 points per game. Um, You know, Justin Fields, Jonathan Taylor, they may take the headlines for both teams, but it's the defenses that deserve the credit. You know, Badgers first in scoring defense, total defense. Buckeyes second in nation in both those categories. So, Low-scoring game for me implies take all the points I can get. 
That means I'll take the points with Bucky the Badger over Brutus Buckeye. All right, Tommy, who do you like? Well, I think it's going to be about a 10 to 13 point game with Ohio State, uh, the home field, certainly giving them the edge there. I'm going to take um, I'm going to take Wisconsin as well. But uh, this team, as as uh, as Drew said, they can explode on you and it's over in a heartbeat. But I'm going with the with the Badgers. It is an awful lot of points. They're a combined 13 and one on the season and 11 three against the spread. Uh, the one non-cover at home for Ohio State was that opening game against FAU and the fighting Lane Kiffins. Other than that, they've been smoking people. But look, Wisconsin is a two-touchdown underdog, as we mentioned. They've only given up seven touchdowns this year mm-hmm. and more than two touchdowns in a game one time. That was last week against Illinois. People, I think, are going to are, are going to end up overreacting to that game a little bit. I still think this Wisconsin team is excellent, good enough defensively to keep this one close. So I'm also going Wisconsin plus 14. I should also mention that Eric did text me his picks, so he will have them for uh, for next week. He also took Wisconsin plus 14. Okay. So we all are believing in the Badgers. That actually kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> next you know, it'll up, probably be 31 points. Now. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Whenever we all pick the same thing, it never turns out well. Uh, next up, LSU is a 10.5-point favorite at home against Auburn. Yeah, you know, for Auburn to win this football game, they're going to need to establish the run, okay? Auburn averaging over 229 rushing yards a game. Bo Nix looked pretty good, honestly, last week against Arkansas. They put up 51 points against the Razorbacks last week. You know, if he continues to make some smart decisions against LSU, I like this. Burroughs, the Heisman favorite, Easily facing his toughest defense yet this year. You know, Derek Brown and Auburn been eating up those offensive lines. You know, LSU slow start offensively last week in Starkville. If that happens again uh, and Auburn's able to control the time of possession, well, I like Auburn to keep it close in this tilt between two top 10 Tiger teams. Great alliteration. What you like, Tommy? Yep, I like, uh, just like I picked on our wildcard showdown yesterday, I like Auburn to cover uh, LSU's defense, not what everybody thought it was going to be. Their offense is prolific, but they're not doing, doing a whole lot of great running of the, as far as stats each week. But, boy, they can throw it, no, no question about it. Maybe the front runner or in the top two or three for the Heisman as far as Burrow is concerned. Uh, but um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I just feel like uh, Auburn – I know they scored, uh, I want to say, 34 points in the last 18 minutes it was against Arkansas last week in a road game. So maybe they're getting it together a little bit on offense. It's hard to, hard to tell when you're playing at Arkansas. But I'm going to go with the Tigers to cover and, uh, and still thinking LSU will win this game by maybe eight or nine points. This is a tough game to pick based on trends, uh, similar to the Ohio State-Wisconsin game. They're both 13-1 in terms of combined record. They're actually 11-2-1 against the spread, so a little bit better there. Uh, against each other, the last 10 years, Auburn and LSU are 5-5 five and five against the spread. And look, if I wanted to keep digging deeper, I could tell you that LSU's 12-2-1 against the spread in their last 15 October games. Whoa. Or that they're 13-3-1 against the spread in their last 17 conference games. Oh, my. But this game isn't about trends. This game is about Joe Burrow, who's completing almost 80% of his passes at 11.4 yards per attempt. So it's not just Dinkin' and Duncan. 2,484 yards, in case y'all didn't want to do that math. 29 touchdowns and three interceptions. Fun fact, South Carolina and Tennessee have a combined 18 passing touchdowns. Joe Burrow by mm-hmm. himself has 11 more passing touchdowns than South Carolina and Tennessee combined. He's going to be the difference. I'm riding this guy all the way to the Heisman and all the way to LSU minus 10 and a half in this game. Eric agrees with me. And this may sound kind of dumb or, or frivolous or whatever you want to call it, but I would be taking LSU and giving the points if it were a night game. But it's a 2.30 LSU mm. time. 
And I think that makes at least a field goal, four-point difference, maybe maybe more than that. That is a good distinction. I, maybe I should have factored that in a little bit more. I just trust that the LSU fans will get up. I know it's better when they have more time, and there's nothing like playing a night game in Death Valley, but I, I still like I still like the 10.5. I, I, it opened at 11, I think, and I probably still mm-hmm. would have taken it at 11, so I feel like I'm getting a half a point for free here. What, what did Eric pick? Uh, Eric also picked LSU minus 10.5. Uh, next up, we have TCU. This is in Fort Worth, and TCU is a one-point underdog at home. Yeah, you know, Texas and Sling and Sam Ellinger, they're riding into Fort Worth trying to bounce back defensively. They allowed 569 yards to Kansas last week. They've allowed nearly 1,100 yards the last two games. This Texas defense, 119th in the nation in total defense, Mm. allowing 469 yards per game. Only Kansas and Colorado allow more yards in the Power Five. Uh, good thing Ellinger is sixth in the nation in scoring, but they're facing a desperate TCU squad that's lost back-to-back road games, and they still have a top 15 nationally ranked defense. Also, Horn Frogs, they're wearing their spit blood helmet this week. All right, that's purple with a red trim, a blood red trim face mask inspired by the actual horny toad that shoots blood out its eyes as a defense mechanism. Bloody moves, all this around Halloween bodes well for the horny toads, I think. Give me scary Gary Patterson and TCU. I love the Halloween theme, the sanguinous costume. Where where else are you going to get that kind of analysis? I want to ask you. Nowhere. That's why he's the best. That's the good stuff. (laughs) What you got, Tommy? I'm telling you, um, uh, I, I trust this Texas coaching staff to to correct this defensive issue as as we go along. But boy, that was just embarrassing last week. the The game itself was almost embarrassing as far as a win or win or a loss. But um, they probably wish they had Will Muschamp back as defensive coordinator back down there. But uh, I'm going to trust the coaching staff to get it right. I love Texas offense. Hook 'em horns. I'm going with you. Give me Texas. I, I know they've given up 143 points defensively in their last four games. But their two losses this year are by a combined 14 points to what is now the number two and the number five team in the country. At mm-hmm. the time, it was number six and number six, um, which is actually kind of funny. But look, I think Texas is just a better team. I really like Sam Ellinger as well. Not as much as Joe Burrow, but I really, really like what I've seen uh, from Sam Ellinger this year. Yeah. And at minus one, all they have to do is win, and at least I get a push. So yeah. give me Texas minus one. And go figure. They can allow Kansas 48. They allow Oklahoma 34. I know, right? Uh, that, that was the... That was the, like, long shot of the century for the under to actually hit in the Red River shootout for the first time maybe ever. Uh, next up, we got Michigan State as a five-point underdog at home against Penn State. Yeah, you know, the two oldest land-grant universities, so they play for the land-grant trophy. 76.2 pounds. Looks like a giant shelf with figurines and pictures on it. Honestly, it's kind of ugly. But... <laughs> The last two years, Michigan State has won claim to the trophy, beating Penn State the last two. James Franklin won in four versus Sparty in this matchup. You know, Penn State, they they couldn't really play a complete game last week. They they started really strong with Michigan, but then they looked very bad offensively and let Michigan come back late. However, I still love John Clifford and K.J. Hamler, they've known each other since middle school. They have one of the best quarterback-wide receiver uh, combos and bromances in, in college football. And and this defensive of Penn State, 
third in the nation in points allowed per game. You know, that Yet- Yetter Gross Matos, you know, the sack here for Penn State, NFL talent, had an incredible ESPN game day story last week about two tragedies in his life that he's endured. I just love their story. I like Franklin keeping Happy Valley happy. I'll take Penn State. Tommy? I'm going to take uh, Penn State as well. I got burned by Michigan State earlier in the year a couple of times, and they're no juggernaut on offense, and that's that's an understatement right there. And uh, I like uh, I like the coaching staff for Penn State. Uh, just like Drew said, I think Penn State is going to get it done, maybe 10 or 12 points. This line's moved a lot. I think it opened at around Penn State minus 9. I think it being in East Lansing probably contributes some to getting all the way oh, down yeah. to 5 now. But I'm sort of going with you. You said you got burned by Michigan State earlier in the year. Penn State's 3-4 and four against the spread this season. The last two times I've picked them, once I picked them to cover, once I picked them mm-hmm. not to cover, both times I got burned. So what I did is I went through my normal process, my normal reasoning, stat-based reasoning of who I thought was going to cover, and so I'm just going to pick the opposite. I came to the conclusion with all the numbers that Michigan State was actually going to cover, so I'm going to take Penn State minus 5 in spite of myself just to maybe psych myself out and actually get a mm-hmm. Penn State I had pick Michigan correct. to cover last week. Uh, against Penn State, and boy, it would look like a total. What was it, twenty-one to nothing before you could yeah. turn your head around? I felt good about and, it uh, but, for a while. But I watched uh, about the last three quarters of that game on replay earlier this week, and well, Michigan played darn good football in that second half. They've got a freshman running back that um, I can't wait to see how how high he goes. Uh, but I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Penn State in this one. All right. Well, you mentioned Michigan. That's our last game that we're picking for this weekend. Michigan's a one point favorite at home in the Big House against Notre Dame. Yeah, you know, there's all this talk about Michigan struggles under Coach Khaki in the big-time games. You know, after the loss to Penn State, Michigan's now 1-10 in 10 versus top-10 teams under Harbaugh. However, I'll give you a stat on the other side of the equation. Brian Kelly never won against Michigan at the Big House. It's been 14 years since Notre Dame last won in Ann Arbor. Uh, you know, Chase Patterson, he started slow, but as Tommy mentioned, came on strong at the end there versus Penn State last week. You know, if he can keep that vertical passing threat down, I kind of like the Wolverines' chances under the lights in the pack big house. I'll take the maize and blue. Tommy? I'm going to take, uh, even though I think uh, I think Notre Dame gets the edge in quarterback here, uh, Shea Patterson hasn't had a great year, but he did play well in that second half last week. I like um, I like uh, the quarterback matchup with Notre Dame, but something just tells me that Michigan's going to really rally and play well down the stretch. Well, they've what lost two games. I think they've mm-hmm. lost two two this season. Yeah, Wisconsin. They need a they need a, a big win over over a, a big team, and this is their opportunity. And they're at home. I'm going with Michigan. I can't say this is the beginning of the end for Jim Harbaugh because I think the beginning of the end was when they got absolutely massacred by Wisconsin. At least in terms of this season. I'm kind of betting against how I normally think about these things. I mentioned, you know, my, my sort of thought process on that Penn State game. And right now, you know, I'm sitting here and, and typically I would bet against Notre Dame in a big game because I would expect them to blow it because it has been all the way back since 1993 since the last time Notre Dame started the season ranked and end of season ranked or vice versa. Every time they've finished ranked, they haven't mm-hmm. started ranked. They, wow. they, haven't, they haven't gone all the way Here's through a for you. since 1993. So I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, but I got burned doing that exact same thing last week. Arizona State, I expected them to hold Utah to the low 20s, and they had the longest active streak in the FBS of scoring at least double-digit points, and then all of a sudden that streak ends after 
uh, I think it was almost 10 full years of scoring at least double-digit points. Mm-hmm. They only scored three last week. They did not cover. I got burned there. So I'm actually just going to roll with the hot teams here. I'm going to say that Notre Dame is going to get a big win as a one-point underdog on the road. And again, it's it's plus one. So all they have to do is uh, all they have to do is win. That's that's pretty nice. I'll go the amazing blue by three. All right, Drew, you have a lock of the week for us before we get to our tiebreaker. Yeah, you know, in this race for first place in the ACC Coastal, here come your Pittsburgh Panthers. Miami, what a letdown. High expectations in Hurricane Land, but there's no offensive line. They lost last week to Georgia Tech, a rebuilding rambling wreck squad. Uh, you know, Miami's getting sacked. 14% of the time when they drop back to pass 128 from the nation and sacks allowed. You know, this is a respectable Pittsburgh team. Remember, they beat Central Florida. You know, Pat Narduzzi, they love to blitz. Uh, I, I like bringing the pressure at Heinz Field, Pittsburgh Panthers minus five and a half. That's it. All right. That's the lock of the week. Minus five and a half. And your locks have been pretty good lately. Um, all right. Tiebreaker. And actually, before I get to the tiebreaker, I should mention, I forgot to read off Eric's picks. Uh, Eric, agree with me on Wisconsin plus 14, LSU minus 10 and a half, Texas minus one, and Penn State minus five. He's also going Michigan minus one. And the tiebreaker for now, all four of us, Chris Silva had his NBA debut, and it was a very good debut earlier this week. He had 8.6 rebounds, three blocks, played about 11 minutes, made all three of his baskets, made a couple of free throws. The Miami Heat are playing tomorrow and Sunday. So the tiebreaker for this week is the closest they can, the person that can get closest to Chris Silva's total points scored this weekend with the absolute value of Tiger Woods' score. He has three more rounds. Uh, round two was suspended yesterday. He's playing a tournament in Japan right now. He started the tournament six under, so combine his overall score with Chris Silva's total points or the absolute value of Tiger's total score because, you know, we don't do negatives here. Love seeing Tiger on top of the lever b- leaderboard like Cat Daddy continuing the form, contending. I think maybe settles maybe minus 16, something like that when all said and done. Uh, Chris Silva, you know, you talked about that. You, you, meant, you didn't mention best stat from Silva, though. Five <laughs> fouls in 11 minutes. You know, the NCAA record holder for fouls. Tommy, <laughs> trivia time. Who's the NBA record holder for career fouls in the NBA? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, someone of, that played for a long time. Yeah, who was a, who was a rough and tumble kind of guy? How about the play? chief, Robert Parrish? It would be Roger Murdoch himself, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Therefore, in honor of the man himself, I'll go 33. <laughs> right. I almost said Wilt. Oh wow, that's that's a great way to arrive at that number, Tommy. You got a pick? Okay, I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Tiger finishes at. Um, I think he's gonna finish at uh, eight under, and I think Chris Silva is gonna score 16 points in those two games. So I'm saying what's that? 24. 24. All right, cool. So we're all around the same thing. I'm thinking, I'm thinking 28. I feel like Silva's gonna score. 10 points this weekend. He was helped by making all three of his baskets. Now he is taking easy baskets. I don't know how many looks he's going to continue to get necessarily. So I'm going to I'm going to go a little bit conservative with Chris and say 10, but also say that Tiger keeps stroking it. The rain delay doesn't mess him up at all. And that he's going to go ahead and finish this thing minus 18 and maybe win it. He's tied with uh, Gary Woodland right now. So hopefully he wins that because that would be exciting for all of us. And what was your pick, pick Drew? 33. Oh, 33. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, all right. Well, Drew, great stuff as always. You got any words of wisdom before we let you go? Oh, uh, no. Trick or treat. 
Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you like it and you want to hear more of it because that is the best way to support the podcast. Also share it with your friends, spread the word around, and don't forget to check out all the other great podcasts that are on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network right now, including another Carolina podcast, including Wes and Chris doing their commit cast anytime South Carolina gets a new commit. And we'll have some more basketball stuff as basketball season is just a couple weeks away from tipping off both the men's and the women's. So we'll have plenty of stuff to help get you through South Carolina basketball season as well. Uh, And by the way, in the same vein of it being a great time to listen to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, it is a great time to be on Gamecock Central, especially as a subscriber. And if you're not a subscriber and you want to try it out, if you've never been, you can get a month for free by using the exclusive podcast code GCPOD. That'll get you a month of Gamecock Central Insider Access for free. And it has just never been a better time for it. So thank you all again so much for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.